This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk, another Saturday edition as we kick it into the weekend. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lee Maurice and Stephen Means. Today we are talking Ohio State defensive linemen. We are one day away, or one week away, as you're listening to this, one week away from the spring game. So how crazy this has come so fast. It feels like we were just, you know, begging to finally talk to somebody and get the spring started. Now, all of a sudden, uh, we're down to the last few days. And this is a, a group that has some intrigue, I think, both because of the ceiling of some of these players that we think might be unrealized and might kind of be unfolding before us if, if their season goes as expected in 2021. And then also just uh, because it's a place where they need some new guys to emerge. And we talked to some guys about that today. So I thought we would start off where I think a lot of fans – are curious about though. And that is Jack Sawyer, the true freshman, big time recruit, local recruit that came in this year. You know, Larry Johnson has done a good job of, of finding and, and keeping these guys uh, in state. Not that that's uh, it's obviously a little bit easier to do that than to maybe go find those guys across the country, but they, they keep having big impacts. And uh, you know, he, when he was asked about Jack Sawyer today, kind of gave more of the, uh, well, let's wait and see, you know, things are going well. We'll you know, he's where we want him to be in our, his development. You ask other guys on this team about Jack Sawyer, though, and you're getting a lot more uh, enthusiastic like praise. Not that, not that Larry Johnson is being enthusiastic. I think he's just answering it like a coach sometimes does. But the other guys, Stephen, I, I got definitely a reaction. You were on that call as well, that there is a lot of optimism for um, some respect for the way that Jack Sawyer has kind of approached things this spring, I guess, first of all, but also then optimism for what he could be as early as this fall. Yeah, it's pretty clear that he's going to have a role even if it's what Chase Young's was in 2017, where he's the fifth defensive end in that group to start the season. But I, I think Barry Johnson kind of w- worded it that way. If you're doing the necessary things and you're working hard, then I'm going to find you a role. I have no problem playing true freshman. I mean, he's already clearly going to have a role on special teams with punt return and whatnot. But yet at this point, it's probably safe to say he'll be in whatever defensive end rotation they have. Not punt returner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be yeah. Punt return team. That'd be crazy. Six five two. That would have been punt return. It would be ridiculous. I mean, he's played quarterback, so why not? That still would have been quite a piece of news to come out today. Doug, I, I was thinking about this today as we were talking to them because everyone always wants to know when these like blue chip freshmen come in, how quickly is this guy going to play? Other than maybe a situation like you have this year with quarterback, and I suppose maybe maybe running back, but defensive end seems like one of those places where a freshman could make a more immediate impact than others simply because they rotate so many guys and because you can sometimes give them that a, a sort of specialized role, whether it's like um, maybe you're not all the way there, but we think you can help us in pass rush. We, you can help us situationally. It just seems like that opportunity is there for Jack Sawyer to make this kind of impact as a freshman. 
Yeah, you know, if you put a freshman at corner, you can't say like, oh, well, this is an easy play because all you have to do is cover the receiver this play. It's like, that's what you do every play. You know, like the idea that you can be a third down pass rusher and like, if you're not great against the run or if you, you just like go beat the guy, right? Go beat the tackle. Um, I do think there's a chance for that. You can do a similar thing with receivers sometimes. Uh, I do. I was just looking at this again, and I know we've talked a lot about, as Stephen brought up, Chase Young as the fifth defensive end in 2017, looking at my second favorite website, 11 Warriors Snap Counts. It is interesting to note that Chase Young that season played 196 snaps on defense. The top four guys all played 534 or more. So he didn't even play half as much, but he played a lot in the bad games. And actually when it mattered, he barely played at the end of the year. He played two snaps against Michigan. He played five snaps against Wisconsin, the big 10 championship game. And he played eight snaps against USC middle of the year. He played 34 snaps against Rutgers. He played 35 snaps against UNLV. So as much as he, yeah, he was, he was, I remember there were times in games that mattered. He'd be on the field every now and then. Right. It wasn't like he was like a consistent fifth guy in the games that mattered. He got a lot of garbage time snaps and crappy teams. However, the guys in front of Jack Sawyer, one through four, are not as good as the guys were in front mm-hmm. of Chase Young. So I do think there's greater opportunity there. And if if it feels like, all right, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are going to do their thing, you know, certainly Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste are not as established as Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard were that year, right? So I really could see it, right? I mean, like, and the other thing too is, no offense to those other guys. And I know Friday and Jean-Baptiste were both big time recruits. Like I'm not, not, I'm not so sure there's not a chance that Jack story actually might be their third best defensive yeah. end by the end of the year, that it's not just like throwing him a bone, you know, like, again, you're not, you're not asking him to pass Sam Hubbard who was a third round pick, right. Which is like what Chase Young would have had to do that year. And, and the Buckeyes and Larry Johnson sort of owed those four defensive ends that year. Like it kind of would have been an insult to those guys to really take snaps away from them for a freshman, even if it's Chase Young. You know, I don't think they owe four guys the way they owed those four guys. So I believe it. I've, if if Larry Johnson's dangling that idea, I believe it. Can you expound on that depth chart comparison real quick? I know we've talked about it before, but with with Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, I would think potentially the the, the top end could approach what, there was in, in, in Chase Young's first year, 2017. Right. But it's more that third, fourth guy where there is a drop. Right. So like Taekwon Lewis was the reigning big 10 defensive end of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, you've right. got it. He's a thing. And Nick, Nick Bosa was only a second year guy, but he's Nick Bosa. So it's like, well, he's younger yep. than Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard, but he's Nick Bosa. Right. So that complicated things a little bit. And then Sam Hubbard had been this guy that like, was a huge recruit and they had to find him a spot and they redshirted him when they shouldn't have. And he was coming and he was coming, he was coming. And then Jalen Holmes is like a really steady dude that Jalen Holmes would be the closest to like Friday and John Baptiste, but he was far more established, I think, than either of those two guys. And that like, and then he played inside that year when they needed him. And like, he moved a little bit. He's a really flexible dude. I think he, he was either a fourth or fifth round pick. I don't know that right now, Tyler Friday and Javante John Baptiste, I would not expect them to be a fourth round pick in the NFL. So Yes, I think the top end still was a little better. I mean, Nick Bosa is Nick Bosa. 
but you just had to have four guys like that. I think this, the difference between three and four then and three and four now is quite a bit of difference. Steven, you asked Larry Johnson an interesting question, and he gave you an interesting response, I thought. You sent it out to our tech subscribers after the interviews. That's 614-350-3315. Kind of tell people what you asked him and and what about the way he answered that that you thought was potentially interesting here. The way I asked it was looking for one answer, and he ended up giving me three or four different ways to look at it, which opened my eyes a little bit. I wanted to know – Ohio doesn't necessarily have a position where it's just kind of known for it. You know how like Texas is known for wide receivers. California is known for quarterbacks. uh, Florida guys have a lot of speed. There's not really that thing in Ohio. There have been some five-star defensive ends and and defensive linemen in the past. Adolphus Washington comes to mind. But there has been an uptick of top 50 five-star defensive ends where Larry Johnson doesn't have to get on a plane to go get them. And he's going to get them. Zach Harris in 2019. Zach Sawyer, 2021, and then Brennan Vernon in 2023, the number nine player, the number two defensive end in the country, is going to continue that run. And I wanted to know, as a guy who knows defensive linemen better than anybody, why is this happening? And he attributed a lot of that to those guys have just been on campus, and they have gotten a chance to get this technique that we've seen Nick Bosa and Chase Young and Joey Bosa and Tyquan Lewis and all down the line learn and turn into Big Ten player of the years and – you know, high draft picks and whatnot, they're getting that at 15, 16 years old because they don't have to get on a plane to come to campus and learn from a day camp. Jack Sawyer didn't go anywhere. He committed and was on campus for literally every single day camp that he could get to. He was coming to come learn from Larry Johnson. Zach Harrison's recruitment was different, but he was also on campus a lot to learn from him. Brennan Vernon has been on campus a couple of times. And so by the time they get here, They've been developed already to a certain point that it's raising their ceiling because, as Larry Johnson said today, I'm a hands-on recruiter. I'm a hands-on type of guy. And so when you get a chance to see these guys and put your hands on them and develop it in person, it can raise their ceiling. And when he said that and then compared it to, well, with national guys, it's all Zoom, I immediately thought about JT Tumala. And if that kid comes here, is it going to be a situation that – like in the wide receiver room with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming, where both of those guys are five stars with high ceilings. But it's because Jack Sawyer has already been learning the technique that he is now in the Woody learning every single day. Is he just going to be more ready from day one? And he'll be the Jackson Smith and Jigba while JT Tumala is more like Julian Fleming, where it just takes him a year because he's never been to Columbus before. I think everyone has assumed that Sawyer would probably be ahead of Tumalau this fall, just because Tumalau wouldn't be getting here until later. Tumalau is someone we can't ask Larry Johnson about directly. He is not signed, let alone committed here. Um, so, but that was it, that was kind of the the thing that's hanging over this room still a little bit is you've got this guy out there who might infuse a a sixth talent who could also contend for one of those spots. I mean, again, I don't think he contends at the same level as Sawyer, but when you start talking about what the depth chart looks by the end of the fall, he could be more involved. What does that mean? Who's it, who are you benching? Who are you straight out benching to get him on the field? Cause you can't play six. Yeah. I don't think that I'm saying that as not, far as that, that third, four spot you were talking about before we were so, talking but, about, before. but, but so, but, but you think, so we're talking about Jack Sawyer, who's like the best guy. He's been on campus. He's been around forever. Mm-hmm. But you think JT Tumalau, like, I don't think it's a discussion. Like, you think he would be better than Javante Jean-Baptiste? You can't play six. Not so on there's not going to be six. 
But you think he could do something by the end of the year that like like Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste like wouldn't be on the field? I don't I, know. It just seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. It, I just I, I see what you're saying. It, I just think he's the one who doesn't get reps this year. But all, or he might just kick back inside. He was classified as a defensive tackle for a while. He's 6'4", 277 pounds. And maybe there's a, a chance for him to get on the field there, especially with the lack of depth right now. But I just think he's the one who probably just as a true freshman doesn't have a role. We have to be careful a little bit. Like true freshmen don't play that much. Right. So like if, if we're extending this rare branch to Jack Sawyer for multiple reasons, let's not extend mm-hmm. it to everybody. Like Chase Young yeah. was, was, I mean, Chase Young is like the best defensive end prospect yeah. in college football in a decade. And he, he and played against Rutgers. Right. Yeah. And so we're saying Jack Sawyer might approach that. I just, I'm not counting on two more <laughs> for anything this year. Do you you don't even think it could be similar kind of snaps that Chase Young was getting, like you could. But you how? Could but like, like, start telling me how then. But why? Like, why are you lumping him in? Are you? Like, who why the, do you think he beat Chase Young? Out. Chase Young is not just a good freshman. Chase Young is like looked like he was ready for the NFL the minute he stepped on campus. Like, there's tiers of five stars, and this kid hasn't even shown up yet. And we don't even know he's going to come here. I just would not. I just I'm not thinking about him that way at all. If I'm thinking about, hmm, could Jack Sawyer maybe do something, not just to throw him a bone, but to maybe actually help this team a little bit in 2021? I'm thinking about that. I'm not thinking about that with JT Tumalau. Yeah, and that's, again, that's just kind of the parameters I'm trying to put out there. Like, do we think that it's just no role for him at all, that this ends up essentially being a redshirt season for Tumalau? Yeah. Like most, like most freshmen. I'm the, It's not a negative. Yeah. I don't want this to sound negative. It's just... Listen, every five-star freshman can't play, and if I had to pick one, I'd pick the one who seems more ready on day one. I mean, how many how many times have there been multiple freshmen out of position who have played in their first year on campus at all? And we consider it a good thing, more importantly. It's probably not a good thing if there are multiple. Yeah, I mean, we saw it a little bit last year with the freshmen, but not a lot. I mean, obviously, Fleming didn't play a lot uh, behind um, in, in J- Smith and Jigba. Um, you're right. It, it is very rare. That's kind of why I'm throwing it out there. Like, wh- how, how should we look at him? Is it a, a guy who could contend for one of those, just a rotational spot? Or is it um, get him here for a year and then he gets to have that year of growth before it's 2022 is his year to start, you know, really getting an impact? Yeah, no, I would just assume he's 2022. Let's talk about some more defensive ends. We'll, we'll talk about defensive tackles in the second group, and there, there's some really interesting stuff, I think, to talk about there. But uh, Tyreek Smith, today was our first chance to talk to him since the national championship game, which he did not play in. And I thought I was really intrigued to find out what he was going to say about that. Um, we, same with Tommy Togiai, we, and I don't know that we really got in-depth on his pro day talking about this experience, but I sort of expected – and I guess every guy's personality is different. I sort of expected, you know – you. This might be once in a lifetime. You don't know that Ohio State can get back to a national championship game while Tyreek Smith is still here. If it's this year, I assume this is his final year here. So once in a lifetime opportunity pulled out from under you. And I thought that he took it. You could tell it was disappointment. But Stephen, I thought there was more of like sort of him processing it kind of in stride. Like I didn't I was expecting maybe more of an emotional reaction from him. And I thought that was just an interesting response from him. I thought his, I mean, it is what it is, was basically his answer. I probably wouldn't have been that had we talked to him 24 hours after he'd found out, but he seemed like a guy who's at peace with it. 
at this point. It, it was two months ago. I didn't get to play. Um, I can't change it now. I caught COVID. I got to deal with it and, and look on the next season. And that's a mature way of looking at it. Doug, I want to kind of get your you, – you have a better frame of reference for where Tyreek Smith came in and, and where they've expected him to go, I think, in the long term. I mean, what is your expectation – was your expectation of him as he came in as a freshman and where he is right now? Well, I mean, he came in more – he was a little more in the shadow of – chase right than right. zach harrison was that zach harrison being like one more year removed and i think we've talked about on this pod that sometimes we've probably maybe not talked about tyreek in the right way because like he really i mean he's basically the same kind of prospect almost that like zach harrison and chase young were and i don't know that we've always talked about him that way and i think he got squeezed a little bit by the guys around him in terms of how people looked at him and i think he got squeezed a little you know a couple injury issues here and there. And all of a sudden it's very easy at Ohio state to sort of fall by the wayside a little bit. And I think he's been a better player the whole time, probably than we have talked about. Um, he's been productive when he's been on the field. I mean, he's been a good player and it's one of those things. Again, Nathan, we talk about all the time here. It's like, if he played at Indiana, people would be like, I don't know. You think Tyreek Smith might be first team all big 10. Cause he'd be like the best player on their defense for a good team. And here it just kind of, can get away from you a little bit. So he probably, I mean, and Coop was the same way, right? That Coop was a top 50 national recruit with Nick Bosa, right uh, right around Chase Young. Chase Young's one year behind him. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, Jonathan Cooper, I don't know, is he that good, right? And then it's like, oh, no, no, he's good. So I actually think Tyreek Smith might be a little more talented than Jonathan Cooper because as we see now, Jonathan Cooper is going to be a sixth round pick or seventh round pick. I would guess Tyreek Smith will be better than that. So I think he might just be on simmer, right? Like, I can't believe this is not, I thought it would go a little bit like this is a, here we like just waiting. And if he's healthy and all this weird, you know, COVID stuff and all that, and that he might just be ready for a gigantic year and everybody will go, Oh yeah, that guy was practically a five-star. This is not a shock at all. I think that's still possible. It's crazy. The, <laughs> the Ohio top 50 recruit in both of those scenarios was overshadowed by the generational talent who was a national recruit. And I mean, we just got done talking about <laughs> the Ohio guy now might just be the gener generational national recruit. He might just yeah. be the best of both worlds. I think Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper is an interesting comparison because again, coming in middle of their careers as I did, I never felt like they were really talked about the same way, even though they were like from a recruiting perspective, so similar. I feel like Jonathan Cooper had sort of had his opportunity and maybe it, maybe it felt like he had plateaued a little bit. Whereas with Tyreek Smith, it has always seemed like, like uh, simmer is a great word for it. Like it always seems like it's, it's, he's one of the guys that it's right there on the cusp of really blowing up. The way it works here, and I, and I bet it can be frustrating for guys if they care about how they're perceived. It's like you're a huge recruit. Everybody loves you. Year one, it's like, are you going to play? And it's like, probably you're not going to play. And then year two, it's like, all right, here we go. And if you are a huge recruit and you don't do something in year two, it's sort of like, all right, who's the next recruit? Okay. And it's like, it's only my third year, man. I want to even redshirt it. Like, give me a break. I have three seasons left. And that happens all the time. And so I feel like Tyreek Smith is like a perfect example of that, that it was like, he's good. He's fine. And then it's like, all right, here comes Zach Harrison. Here comes Jack Sawyer. Like, I guess that guy might be good. Who knows? But 
I think there have been reasons, Stephen, right? I mean, like he just he hasn't been healthy every snap of his whole career. I think at times he when he was healthy, he wasn't quite as good as maybe he wanted to be. He's been good, though. So it's just in the way we think about it, because there's always somebody next. There's always somebody next. And that can be tough. He has maybe flashed it a lot more often than the guys that Doug is describing. I mean, the Cincinnati game, he had the sack. Where he flashed it. And it was almost like when we talked to Chase after, he's like, I told you, I told you he was going to be awesome this year once he got healthy. And then he got injured again. Last season, spent the whole year fighting injuries, and then he finally gets healthy. And the Michigan State game happens. And I think I asked Larry Johnson, I said, well, he's finally healthy. Look what he's doing when he's healthy. So that, with him, it's, yeah, the ceiling has always been there because we've seen it. We've just never got to see it consistently because of health. So maybe this is his opportunity as Zach Harrison is, has, we think is going to take that step, but he also has not necessarily taken that next step that you would expect from a five-star yet. But in our defense, Tyreek Smith has four sacks in three years. Right. Right. So right. it's like, it's not. His sacks are loud, but there's not a lot of them. It's four. That's, yeah. How loud can they be? I mean, I'm like, just saying I like, what, yeah, you know what I mean? Like this, the plays he made to get those sacks were pretty awesome, but it's like, oh, it's only four of them. Okay. So let us calm that, down a little bit. Not that sacks are everything, but also it sounds like you guys had a discussion. I, people I was on the call today reading the text that, the discussion about getting home more is something that has come up and, yeah. you know, he has the skills to get home. If he starts getting home and everybody will talk about it. Yeah. He said that there's been like some basically frame by frame work that he and Larry Johnson have been do- doing on um, the film, trying to you know pinpoint, Hey, here's where you could have just reached your arm out and maybe that gets you home or, or whatever, just little technique things, little things that you could, you could tweak. Uh, but Larry Johnson also said, um, that he doesn't want Tyreek Smith going into the season thinking he has to change the player he is. He feels like he's doing the right things sort of foundationally to be the defensive end Ohio State needs. These are just like technique tweaks that get you just that little bit that can make a difference when, it, when a play is going that fast between, you know, uh, pressure and contact and then contact and, and taking a guy down. Um, the other defensive end that I think people obviously are most curious about is Zach Harrison. We did, we did talk to him today, but we've also talked to him earlier this or talked about him a lot earlier this spring and just him being poised. And that really seems to be like such a crucial thing for with the ceiling of this defense this year is what he and Tyreek Smith can be together. I don't feel like it's necessarily getting talked about quite the same way as we look at the offensive line, where you look at Petit Frere and Munford and how those guys are maybe because they've proven it still more a little bit, right? Like they've already gone out and done things and drawn some national attention. And it, with Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, it is more like the flashes. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that's like a, a, a post, like how, how Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith need to be more like Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere in, in 2021 or have the 2021 that those guys had in 2020. I think it's a great comparison, it right? And Tyreek Smith is Thayer and, and Zach Harrison is Nicholas Petit Frere. And it would be right if they can have the season those tackles had last year, because going into last year, it was like, well, I think I think these tackles are pretty good. And then it was like, oh, they blocked everybody every single snap the whole season. Oh, they were great. And now they're back. And because they are back after a great year, everybody's like, they're awesome. There's no doubts about them. I don't know that Tyreek and Zach will be back after their great year to bathe in the adulation, right? They might have their great year and go, which Thayer and Petit Frere could have done. But 
like that kind of year where it's like, oh, remember when we used to talk about how the defensive ends didn't get home and then they both had double digit sacks? Yeah. Remember when we used to talk about that way? Remember last year going into the season when we were like the interior of the offensive line is going to be awesome. Will the tackles be good enough? And then like after three games, it was like, man, the tackles are the two best guys on this line. Absolutely out there for those two defensive ends to have this that kind of season in 21. I feel like we have so many discussions and we've had them this spring about is this secondary going to be better? Is this secondary going to be good enough? Are new guys going to merge? Who can they trust? Et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times in those discussions, even though we eventually bring it back to this, like down the line, we remind ourselves like, oh, actually the pass rush will make a big impact there. We don't necessarily always bring it up in the middle of those discussions. And those guys need to be judged based on their own merits too. But this still seems like such a, a critical component of how good this pass defense could be this year and how much how much pressure it can take off of this secondary if this defensive front takes the step that they say they can make. If Zach Harrison has 10 sacks and Tyreek Smith has eight sacks, I mean, yeah. That's less time that the Michael Penixes of the world and the J.J. McCarthy's have the world to throw 45-yard bombs down the field against a secondary who's inexperienced and probably isn't that good. I think Chase Young made Damon Arnett a lot of money. 100%. (laughs) He made him a first-round draft pick. 100%. And I think Okuda's good. I mean, Okuda, I think, stands on his own two feet a little bit. He didn't have a great rookie year. He had some injury issues, too. But, like, Okuda at three – that might have been a little bit of chase too. That, yeah. that maybe it's like Okuda was a third pick and Arnett was in the twenties. Maybe it's more like Okuda was like should have been the tenth pick and Arnett should have been a third rounder. And when you have Chase Young on top of a quarterback, it makes you look better. And it's more yeah. of that case, especially with Okuda, because Patrick Sertain was the defensive player of the year in the, in the SEC and is the best corner in his draft, and he's projected in the teens everywhere you look. We. Yeah, we, we always made a mention of the fact that nobody threw at Okuda, but it wasn't like people were dropping back 45 passes a game and getting that many attempts off against Ohio State. It was like, well, they already weren't – they already were, like, running for their life and throwing on the run half the time from Chase Young, and then they just happened to not throw at the best defensive back on the team most of those times. So um, we've got some nonsense coming up. I forgot to mention this earlier, but we are going to reveal the winner of the gas station snack bracket crown a champion uh when we come back from the break we're going to talk about defensive tackles here on buckeye talk we're back on buckeye talk doug i mentioned the snack bracket you immediately made a face this did this we'll get more into it later but this did not go the way that you were expecting it's like when uconn won the ncaa title it's like i guess they're good but i think there might have been like 20 better teams in the bracket i congratulations you got hot at the right time. Um, people can vote however they want to vote um, for free and fair elections. But I was very surprised. I'm not. Now, listen, I'm not I'm not like shutting down the drop boxes because I'm mad at the results. Right. It's like, I'm not. We're going to keep voting the same way we vote. So everything's good. It is not how I would have gone. And in the end, it was an, a four seed beat a seven seed in the championship game. So that's what I thought of the two that made it all the way through. It's that, but then also our Texers are just equally disappointed. If you go through our inbox, every other Texas, who is voting in this snack bracket? What is wrong with you people? I can't listen to Buckeye talk for a week because of the snack bracket. It really is. <laughs> we don't want to talk. 
we don't talk about politics on Buckeye Talk, but we only we talk about snacks as a stand-in for politics. <laughs> like the moderate candidates won. It was like it was like they're better candidates, but it's like, well, some people really like those candidates, but there's not enough broad support. But like if you really go like this is the best you could do, kind of like this milk toast person in the middle who's like, oh, I think uh, we should just do the best we can and and do good for everybody. It's like, OK, I guess I'll vote for them like that's Oreos or Oreos made it so far. I was like, Oreos for real. But like they're fine. They're fine. But it really is. It is a window into the soul of the American voting populace. Because I think there were a lot of people, you know, well, this was more popular. You know, this was more passionate about this or that. But the passions are split. And then in the middle are just these old standards. And that's who came through the bracket. You know, it is. It's like to get on the bracket was like winning a primary or like in order to win the primary, you have to be more polarizing and like more you know, going to the base, but then to actually win the general election to actually come out on top at the end, you do have to be a little bit more uh, mediocre. I Like the, the, the baked goods. Number one seed was confetti brownie because confetti brownies got like, like little sprinkles on it. And it's like a party in your car and it's soft and chewy. And then somebody sent a text. that was like, there was a thing a couple of years ago where they found worms in confetti brownies. And it was like a sex scandal that knocked confetti brownie out. Confetti brownie was like, I'm this dynamic candidate. And then it was like, did you hear what confetti brownie did three years ago? And it was like, and that was it for confetti brownie. Who is the, uh, the Gary, whatever from like the 84 election, like somebody who like wins an early primary. And then there's like a picture of them on a boat with um, some chicken, a bikini. And then it's like, Oh, well you're done. Yeah. I think, and I think I should cosmic brownie is what the correct name is. Yeah. Cosmic brownie was the Gary Hart of this bracket and Donna rice. That was those were the worms, man. So I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's great. It's great. I love the exercise of people voting about what they like to eat. It just was not how I would have voted, which is fine. So, so Doug did not reveal the seeds when he put out these pairings. So we're going to get into more of that because I do want to hear where some of these um, entities were seated. But let's go back to football for a second. We did talk to all the defensive line today, which included uh, defensive ends we already talked about and the defensive tackles. And I'm really intrigued where these guys are going to line up during the spring game, because they're talking a lot about as we, it's just one of the spring cliches while everybody's playing everywhere. Um, But it might be a little bit true, um, especially with Haskell Garrett being out. It might like give them more reason to try new guys out at different spots and, and really kind of build the versatility there. So I mean, that's just maybe my opening question. You're like, how much do you guys believe in that? Everybody can play everywhere as far as this nose three technique thing. And, could we still see any of those guys at any of those spots once the season starts? I believe two people can play everywhere. Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent. I think everybody else is going to get stapled into either being a three tech or a nose tackle, which is why there are two things that are going to be interesting when we get to spring game, but more importantly, when we get to the season, who's the starters and then who's in the rushman package. So are you saying that someone like Antoine Jackson, someone like Jaron Cage, you think those guys are noses only? I think so. Yeah. I think they could, I don't think anybody's togi. I think, as we said before, like, like is to that degree. So I think probably they could play anybody, anybody everywhere. I mean, I, I just, I think I'm mostly, I'm just interested in how the snap counts in the end break down. And 
is Teron Vincent or Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent, the guys, the two guys who get the most snaps on the interior of the defensive line this year. But I do think I would guess that we will see a little bit of more of a return of the Rushman where they've got ends inside on mm-hmm. passing downs that there have been times when they've really gone to that. And then there have been times when they haven't gone to that as much, but I think there will be an opportunity for that this year. And I think we will see it. I think there's opportunity just partially be, yeah, because of the abundance of defensive end talent that they might be building. And then as you were saying that, that there isn't a Devon Hamilton, there isn't a Tommy toe guy, the guy who you're just like, well, that's a nose tackle. That is a, that's going to be an NFL nose tackle, let alone a guy who can do it for Ohio state. Tron Vincent was obviously a big topic of conversation day. One of the guys, I think everybody else who we talked to, every other player we talked to, I think got at least one Tron Vincent question. And some of that was prompted because earlier this week, Ryan Day was asked about the defensive line and he like jumped out of his chair to praise Teron Vincent and how much he's committed himself this off season and the way that he's playing this spring. And we were talking earlier about the injury situation for Tyreek Smith. And today it really struck me just how much health is going to be a, a theme, I think for this defensive line, the whole defensive line going into the fall, like who stays healthy, who opens the season healthy who can continue to stay healthy because that for Tron Vincent, when I got here right before the 2019 season, he was already out. I mean, everybody knew he was injured and was probably not going to. And then last season we knew something was lingering. He didn't play in the season opener. Larry Johnson kind of told us late, I think before the season that both him and we already knew what Haskell Garrett's situation was that both of them might not be ready to start the year. But then by the second game, Deron Vincent came back and played 11 snaps, according to 11 Warriors against Penn State. By the third game, he's at the 28 against Rutgers. Larry Johnson was talking today like it wasn't until late in the year, though, that he was really healthy, that he could really play a lot. Um, he kind of said it earlier, like he, he didn't play early. It was really just the one game. But I think it was a guy that even when he played last year, you could tell something wasn't right. And if he can be healthy, that's going to potentially kind of catapult him up to that next level. Just Stephen, what was getting your impression from talking to the other guys, but I guess mostly talking from to Teron Vincent today about how he feels and what he thinks that could mean. Yeah. I think he's one of the guys who was most impacted by the lack of a spring, just because not even a lack of a spring, just a lack of being on campus and getting the necessary rehab that he needed. Cause we don't know how serious that injury was. I mean, he was in a robotic arm up until the college football playoff game. That was the first time I saw him without it. So uh, probably that stunted his growth a little bit. It stunted it when he was able to get back on the field, you know, from a rehab standpoint. But then in fall camp, when did he actually start practicing? But I think that ceiling, as Ryan Day alluded to and Larry Johnson alluded to a little bit today as well, I think that five-star ceiling for him is still out there if he is finally fully healthy two years removed from whatever that arm injury was. And I don't think we've ever gotten a great – full answer on this it's been alluded to a few times and i asked ron vincent a question today and did not ask it with the necessary specificity to get this answer either but there was clearly some other there was whatever was wrong with him that first year the the 2019 season and then there was another surgery there was another Mm -hmm. procedure is what it sounds like and that's what led what had him behind going into last year and doug i want to get your perspective on this because um low these many decades you've been covering this team this is not super uncommon right that there are sometimes guys who have this talent and it's the injuries that keep pushing them back pushing them back pushing them back and then you still that that eruption can still happen like what are some other examples of that and and do you think he could still be on that trajectory I mean I don't know that there are a ton of times where a guy is like a whole season's wiped out 
by an injury, right? Which is what he's talking about. That he, I mean, he had like the worst trajectory you could have, which is come in as a five-star, play a little bit as a true freshman, right? Get a little action, get a little taste. Second year, wiped out. Doesn't play a snap. Third year, injury stuff plus COVID, right? So we yeah, saw yeah. just a glimpse like that is, we know nothing about, about him. You know, like you think about like what Chase Young's three years were like, right? Those They're two five-star defensive linemen. Chase Young is like, has a role as a freshman, breaks out, has a little injury stuff as a sophomore, goes nuts as a junior. Like Teron Vincent is as old as Chase Young when Chase Young went to the NFL. And yeah. we don't know anything about him, it feels like. But it's not his fault. Like there's no part of his game that was like a failure of on his part to sort of seize the moment and be like, well, you had a chance. And you just couldn't get on the field. Like that's not the deal at all with him. So, you know, there are guys, Marshawn Lattimore's hamstrings would not stop exploding for two years. And it was like, he's, is he good? It's like, I don't know. His hamstrings won't stop exploding. And then as soon as they stopped exploding, it was like, oh, he's really good. And there was nothing Marshawn Lattimore did in his first two years that was a lack of skill that was, oh, he couldn't beat somebody out. He just did not physically get a chance to show what he was. So I'm sure there are other examples, but there's not a million of them when it's just like the, you know, that the, that the injury is not a bump. It's just like a roadblock and you've got to sit there and traffic is stopped, right? Traffic was stopped for Teron Vincent. So like, because we love, like, we were talking about him going into 2019 before he showed up with the big brace. Like, there was some juice like yeah. two years ago, like in the spring of like, mm-hmm. hey, 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 he's a five star who got on the field a little bit as a freshman. Here he comes. And it can feel like, my gosh, we've been waiting for this guy forever. But it's not, you're not waiting on talent. All the talent's still there. You're waiting on health. So if the health is back, he might be an All-American. Like, that's not a crazy thing to say. I mean, we're sort of saying, like, well, Haskell Garrett, whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, like, he was a higher-rated recruit than Haskell Garrett. Haskell Garrett, before last season, he played some. He was fine. But I don't. he wasn't held back by injuries the way Teron Vincent was. He just had been a good, but not great as a Buckeye. And then he went nuts. So, like, if he could do it, if Teron Vincent is healthy, he absolutely could do it. So like as many questions on there are, as there are on this defense, and even he's in a different spot than Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt and those linebackers. Cause they were blocked by guys, but we had the discussion of like, well, if they were that great, they would have found a way to play. This guy just has not been himself. And if he is himself, maybe look out. To the point of him having some juice in that spring. I mean, he played 19 snaps in that Rose Bowl against Washington and looked pretty solid. So yeah, he came into that spring with some momentum. I am wondering though, Obviously, Marshawn Lattimore is the only comparison we can think of here, but those are also two totally different positions. And with Mark, it is just with Mar- the talent was there. It's can your hamstrings cooperate? And as soon as they did, the talent was able to take off. This is a arm injury that we're really not sure what it was and what it wasn't. There's another surgery involved. Your interior defensive lineman, not necessarily an edge rusher. Does that at all impact where his ceiling now is in comparison to what it was for Marshawn Lattimore, where it's just if this muscle gets healthy, you'll be okay? Yeah, I thought one of my favorite moments today was, you know, I'm, I'm the son of two school teachers, so I could never really complain about my teachers at school. If I tried to come home and do that, my parents would yeah. just be like, no, shut up. 
And uh, not that not that Troy Vincent res- responded quite that way to Tehran, but um, somebody asked him about like how his dad helped him through the injury, and his dad basically was like, "You're a football player. You're going to get hurt. Get over it. <laughs> get back in there and play." And I thought that was it, it. I thought that was just great advice and, and kind of a refreshing thing to hear. Like this is what you signed up for. I think was the exact quote. And uh, a reminder that these guys, you know, do the the injury um, ratio for these guys is, I mean. I don't know if it's a hundred percent, but somebody's dealing with something at some point in their careers and his has just been more severe and it's been more prolonged than some guys have had to deal with, but he, it, it did kind of dawn on me that he does also have that support system that he can fall back on. And has probably helped him through this situation a little bit. I'm trying to think of who else, like Steven, anything else that jumped out to you from the other guys we talked about? I mean, you know, we talked to Jerron cage today, Larry Johnson, uh, said that he's having his best spring. We talked to Antoine Jackson today. I mean, those are the two guys that I would think, regardless of what Teron Vincent can be, I would still maybe expect one of those two guys to start the fall as the starting nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my inclination right now. It's it's one of the things I don't have a great read on, and one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing the most in the spring game. It's definitely a situation where Teron probably isn't the starter, but he's in there on passing. If they if he's in the Rushman Packers, he's in there on passing downs, or he's in there in the fourth quarter when it matters. Um, but yeah, I, by all, Antoine Jackson is the starter. Jerron Cage is the number two nose, and then from there, it's you know how much how much versatility can Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent give you if you want to go with those two on the interior. But if Teron Vincent's playing the nose, that's not really the Rushman package, right? I mean, that's that's where you'd be using – wouldn't it's you be not, sliding a defensive end? It's not the rest package of, stuff. They're just going to rotate them. They just rotate yeah. defensive tackles all the time. There's no, It's not necessarily package stuff. It's not like the starters play every snap. Yeah, they're, It's going to be like Antoine Jackson and Haskell Garrett for the first series. In the second series, it's going to be Teron Vincent and Jaron Cage, and then they're yeah. going to move it around, and they're like all going to play the same amount of snaps, I think. Yeah, Teron Vincent is listed 6'2", 300. Um, he's talking about how much stronger he feels this spring and how he feels like things are kind of coming together for him there. So I, I don't think it's unrealistic that he could play a lot of nose tackle snaps. I just kind of want to see it I, because that hasn't really been a role that they've looked at him in uh, at, to this point. I asked about uh, Ty Hamilton, a couple guys, because it's a name that keeps uh, springing up. Another reason why I want to see the spring game is because there's guys like that, especially with Haskell Garrett being out, who are probably going to get a decent number of snaps when you split this team in half. And I'm, I'm eager to see some of these guys actually play. Um, he's maybe near the top of my list on defense once you get you know outside of, obviously, some of the guys we think are maybe going to have to start um, that we haven't really seen play a whole lot. But um, who else are you guys maybe intrigued? I know we'll probably talk about this more next week. But as far as this defensive line, anybody else that people need to keep in mind for next week? Jacoby Cowan, Darion Henry Young. I am interested to see how many of those guys who started out on the outside are now inside. And we will be able to I, – I wasn't paying that close attention to that during when we went to practice. I was more looking at the secondary. But if we do get a chance to go to another practice, and especially the spring game, I want to see where those guys who were freshmen last year are now at, now that they've been in the program for a year. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that's that's always – Larry Johnson does that. He's trying mm-hmm. to find the right guys who are the edge guys who can move inside, and you can see it coming when it happens. That's a very good thing to watch. I remember talking to those guys on signing day last year, and, and some of them were pretty adamant that they came here as defensive ends. And I'm thinking the whole time, I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't know about that, sir. I think you might be a, a three technique before this is done. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's – you get told what you want to hear in recruiting, but guess what? 
you can't play eight defensive ends and no tackles when you got on the field. So, well, but I also think it may be a thing. I mean, they tell you, I assume what they're told in recruiting is you can come here and try to play defensive end. But then when you see who we've got here at defensive end, maybe you're not a defensive end anymore. It's like how, you know, you don't get to just go right into like med school. You have to take pre-med and prove that you can actually handle math and science and then okay well then we'll let you still go into med school sometimes you do that and you end up being a sports writer or whatever and, and more dairy on henry young than jacoby cowan because jacoby cowan is 6'4 280 pounds you're gonna be an interior defensive lineman dude i'm sorry with dairy on henry young i think that's exactly what they said because he's what 6'4 265 they probably would listen you can try it but you know zach's here jack's coming the year after you i mean you can try it but we're gonna move you back in whether you like it or not i think this is right I have a terrible memory, but I think this is right. I think Adolphus Washington in 2013 started off as a defensive end and he got hurt. And then they put Joey Bosa in. And then when Adolphus Washington was healthy, they were like, we think you're a tackle now. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) did you see that guy? No offense to you, but look at that guy. Why don't you get a little bigger and play inside? And so it went. And now they both were in the NFL. But also, if I'm one of these guys, I'm looking at this depth chart this year, and I'm looking, okay, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Zach Sawyer just came in and is doing what he's doing, a couple other veterans there. Maybe I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Actually, three-tech, that doesn't sound so bad. I can actually get some snaps at three-tech. I mean, again, we talk about it a lot, but it's also the plan. I mean, uh, like also Larry Johnson does it on purpose, and he's always on the lookout for those guys because sometimes in high school, you know, even – I mean, unless you're at IMG or something, right? It's like sometimes your defensive tackers are like little bowling ball guys or whatever. And it's like, well, the athletes are on the edge. Mm -hmm. And then you look at their frame and how much weight can they carry? And it's like, okay, I get it. They let you rush the passer at your high school. But when you come here, you can add the weight and you're going to go inside. Yeah, and it works. I mean, I, Jason Cornell, they did it with. Um, you know, he was only like a seventh round NFL draft pick, but still, I mean, I think it probably worked for his career to make that that same kind of progression. And if if you get that, that's all you kind of need is every couple of years you turn somebody into Jason Cornell, you've made your defense better. Or you Draymond mean, Jones, Draymond Jones, third yeah. round pick. Yeah. yeah, and he was a really he was their best defensive lineman in, in 2018. But when you looked, it was like, all right. That year, at the start of the year, if Draymond Jones wasn't inside, it was like, okay, well, the ends are Nick Bosa and, and Chase, Chase Young. Yeah. So what do you think you're going to do? No offense. But he was already a tackle by then, so it was great. But again, yeah. it's like, if you're not a first-round pick, you maybe won't start at defensive end here. So then you've got to start figuring it out. That so that's, that's the reality of this. So you can either – Back up the first round pick, or maybe put on twenty five pounds and move inside. That is fair. Your ceiling should be double digit sacks or eight sacks if you want to play defensive end. If not, you're a threat to be moved in. I think we're going to talk some more about the defensive tackles as we go into the spring game next week because I think it again it's a it's a position of some intrigue. But we're going to take a break there. We're going to come back. We are going to talk the new recruiting rankings, and then we are going to reveal the champion of the gas station snack bracket here on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen, I uh, hope everybody listened to Buckeye Futures Friday on Friday, coincidentally. Uh, but we didn't talk about this because it just came out this morning, but there are new rankings uh, for the 2022 class. Who shot up for Ohio State? What, what does that mean? Yeah, everybody moved but Quinn Ewers. He's still the number one player in the country. He still has the perfect rating. Everybody moved. But the big movement is C.J. Hicks is now a five-star recruit. And this has been... 
I mean, if you've ever seen him, if you've seen his film or if you've seen him play in person, I've done both. You knew this was probably going to come between when he committed and when he actually signed. When I went to go watch him play, he was doing what Craig Young was doing when we went to practice. They had him. Sometimes he was a pass rusher. Sometimes he was in the box stopping the run. Sometimes he was different. He was covering tight end. Sometimes he was the single high safety. He is everything. Ohio State wants in a linebacker recruit because once you get him here, then you can move him all over the place. He's six foot four, 218 pounds. He moved up from being in, in the 30s. He was, he was, I'm sorry, number 41 overall in the number three outside linebacker, a four star guy. And now he's the number 18 player in the country. He's still the number two out. He's the number two outside linebacker now, the best player in Ohio. And so he joins Quinn Ewers, Jaheim Singletary, and Caleb Burton, who continues to fall down as five stars. But with, with some context, Caleb Burton was the number one wide receiver in the country when he committed to Ohio State, and he has since been injured the entire time. So, obviously, he's going to continue to fall. But as soon as he gets healthy and gets a chance to get back on the field and show some stuff, I won't be surprised if he's back in that number one spot. Doug, when I hear five-star so-and-so, five-star whatever position, at a lot of positions, it can be it's very easy. It comes to me like, oh, five-star defensive end. I know what that guy's doing. Five-star left tackle, five-star quarterback, obviously. When you hear five-star linebacker, what does that mean to you, and what do you think it means for Ohio State's defense if it can start getting athletes like that? What, what do they do for Ohio State? Yeah, it's hard. Um, how do I say that? Like, like Raekwon McMillan was a five-star, right? Because I, part of it, part of it is like, there's such a mental part and a leadership part, especially if you're playing inside at linebacker. And sometimes that's hard to judge. And like Raekwon was awesome at that. Right. But then like in the end, like Raekwon never was an all American. He was a second round pick in the NFL draft, not a first round pick. He hasn't had a great NFL career. I think he wasn't quite maybe like an a plus a plus athlete like i thought he was an, an a linebacker but you know then like a guy like ryan shazier who i always talk about you know like was they played him at defensive end in high school he didn't have that many linebacker snaps but then you put him at linebacker and it's like this guy was made to play linebacker so i am very excited about the athleticism of the Ohio state linebacker groups that are recruits that are coming in. And it's primarily CJ Hicks and Desan McCullough. Like I'm very intrigued by that because I feel like they haven't had the perfect fits at linebacker for a couple of years, you know, that, and we've talked about that before, but like Jerome Baker was awesome, but he got caught in the bill Davis vortex. And he, I don't think he maxed out what he could have been, you know, tough Borland was a, a great leader, but didn't have the athleticism Baron Browning as he's proven right now had everything, but never really found the right position. Like Pete Warner is a good solid linebacker and he might go in the second round, but again, like he's not like a through the, he's not Isaiah Simmons, right? Like he's not a through the roof athlete. So it is a little weird. I mean, it's not, it's, it's like a couple year thing, but like when you see just like the top end ability that has come in at like almost every other position corner all the time, receiver all the time, defensive end every year, right? Offensive tackle, right? I mean, like Nicholas Petit Frere, Paris Johnson, are you kidding me? Could you design a better offensive tackle frame as long as Nicholas Petit Petit Frere eats his protein? And it hasn't quite been there quite as much at linebacker in, say, the last five years where it all came together. So like I like the Garrett Wilson of linebackers where it's like, oh, he's a great athlete. He's a perfect fit. He can do it all. He has great hands. He's fast. He runs great routes. Like where's the Garrett Wilson of linebacker? It just hasn't quite been there. 
And so I'm super excited for it to come back around. But to your point, Nathan, the definition of a five-star linebacker at Ohio State, frankly, is much more muddled than when you think five-star defensive end. I know exactly what that looks like. Five-star corner. I know exactly. Five-star receiver. I know. I know. I know. I don't. You don't. It doesn't. The picture that pops in your head is, isn't as clear. Well, to that point, Stephen, I, hold, but just one second, I want to say something because Doug mentioned yeah. Jerome Baker as a five-star comes in and then doesn't really have a, doesn't really fit right or whatever. Baron Browning was a five-star linebacker. He doesn't really fit right. So it's almost like it, it's, that's part of the problem with picturing it almost is because Ohio state has gotten those guys, but it, it seems like they get out of here without ever having really fit into that would help us picture what a five-star linebacker is supposed to be almost. And to the point, there have been nine five-star – C.J. Hicks is the ninth five-star linebacker to come through here. And to that point of they never really click all the way at a star level. I mean, Baron Browning's the highest rated of all of them, and he, it seemed like he spent his entire career we're trying to figure out where he's supposed to be at. Well, we knew where he should have been at, but he was never really put into that role. And with C.J. – with the changing of the defensive scheme a little bit, it seems like guys like C.J. Hicks, guys like Desan McCullough, they – we know exactly where they're going to be pigeonholed, and they seem to know it too. When you talk to them, they know exactly what role they're going to have the moment they get here, and it, it doesn't feel like they're going to be moving around a bunch. So a couple things. One is the game has changed, right? So the game has completely changed and what a linebacker is has completely changed. Two is, I mean, this is not me being a jerk. I mean, like the Bill Davis thing is real. Luke was developing linebackers and when Luke left, they hit a lull. It is, it's, it's just fact. And now Al Washington is here and Al Washington is now, I think Al Washington can develop linebackers, right? But now Al Washington is going to have the natural talent there that when he develops those linebackers, he can have a Garrett Wilson of the linebackers. But they really, when Luke Fickle left, they just hit this spot, right? That like Jerome Baker was like in mid, in mid career. Like, and I think if Luke Fickle was stayed, Jerome Baker might have been an All-American because Jerome Baker was doing stuff in the spring game. It looked like he was jumping 14 feet in the air to intercept passes. And then he came back his last year and he was good, but he wasn't quite. And I know exactly why that was. Sorry. It's the coach. So So the other thing is, can we play the five-star linebacker game? Now I want to know who they are. CJ Hicks is the ninth five-star linebacker in Ohio state recruiting history. He is. And he's actually the seventh um, overrated seventh highest rated, but yes. So CJ Hicks is one. Let's see if you can name the other. I'm not going to. So Raekwon is one. Yes, there's one. Baron Browning is three. Uh, Curtis Grant. That's four. And Curtis Grant is one that pops to mind because Curtis Grant never quite popped. Hit. Yeah. And that's kind of a thing. Was Mike Mitchell one or no? He is not. But there is one that you guys should just know. Um because if you just brought up the reasons why Curtis Grant is rememberable as a five-star recruit, this guy's definitely rememberable as a five-star recruit because he's kind of in the same vein. Dorian Bell? Correct. No, but I he, remember him too. Yeah, he was another guy who didn't hit. Yeah. And so there's another one, though. In the in the recent era? In the recent era. Oh, as in Justin Hilliard? Bingo. Oh, oh, right. And now we're seeing that that was – okay, so that's is that six? 
That's that's seven. The two you you guys aren't going to get these other two because no, no none of us were on the beat when it happened. Mike D'Andrea in class of two thousand and two, oh, yeah. and Marco Cooper class of two thousand. So Marco Cooper, I don't know anything about D'Andrea. Was all injuries. AJ Hawk became right. the player that people thought Mike D'Andrea was going to be. So, mm-hmm. but to that point, that's a lot of not quites, mm-hmm. right? Like like there's not there's not a Chase Young in there. There's not a Garrett Wilson in there from five star to like absolute no doubt about it stud I'm writing this down that's a story. linebacker oh, no linebacker might actually be the only position in Ohio in the modern era for Ohio State that doesn't have that where you can go who's the guy I mean you just mentioned Garrett Wilson J.K. Dobbins wasn't there. Uh, Beanie Wells there's your five star there I mean, we're going to – Justin Fields wasn't a recruit, but for all intents and purposes, we're going to include him until either Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers does what they're supposed to do. Jeff Okuda in the defensive back room. Linebacker – offensive line, I mean, Wyatt Davis. Uh, right. Nicholas between Fre- – I mean, that list goes on and on and on. So linebacker might be the only place where the five-star hasn't been a five-star recruit and turned out to be a five-star player. And listen, Chris Spielman would have been a five-star if yeah, they were yeah, doing yeah. this stuff back then. Modern but, era, that's why you got to – But there also era. are. I mean, it's like James Laurinaitis was a three-time All-American. He was a three-star. You yep. know, A.J. Hawk was a top-ten pick in the NFL draft. He was a three-star. They There are some guys – you know, Shazier, because he didn't play linebacker in high school, wasn't a five-star. Right. Some of the guys who have become their best linebackers weren't the five-stars – where is this? And again, I, I know, I, and, and, and I think I mentioned before, I was communicating with somebody about the idea of developing five stars and turning them. And somebody at Ohio State was like, let me know what you find on that. And so we have to do that. But I think it's like people love to talk about the underdog success stories, but like having a stud stay a stud is quite a thing, too. And this is a one. And, and again, it's not like Baron Browning was bad. It's not like Raquan McMillan was bad, but they weren't quite Chase Young, and they've had some bad injury luck there too. So C.J. Hicks has a chance to be the best five-star linebacker to have the best career of any five-star linebacker recruited Ohio State. Raquan is a high bar. Raquan is a high bar, but I can still remember sitting with Raquan McMillan and him being ticked that he was never an All-American because like it just, he was almost that, but you know, and, so that's interesting. We should also point out Baron Browning came in at the end of that coaching transition as well. And that might've been a factor in why he didn't get off to the he start. Might've been a factor. Yeah. He committed to Luke fickle. Then Luke fickle left the moment he got here. Yeah. Literally. He, <laughs> I mean, he would, he would tell you that it was a direct factor. It's the why. <laughs> it's like how you, it's like there, how to ruin a career. Here's yeah. the Baron Browning chapter. I mean, there is not- a, vi- there's a video of him, of you guys talking to him on signing day. And that being a conversation of, well, yeah, I committed to Luke Fickle, but you know, I'm getting to know Bill Davis a little bit. Yeah. You got to know him really well. You got to know him really well, Baron. Did not go well. I got to know Bill Davis. His first question to me was, how do you coach college linebackers? I've never done it. Uh, Steven, anything else on the recruiting before we slide over to some nonsense? Yeah, yeah. I just, um, just a quick preview. I am headed to the Under Armour uh, uh, All American Series. It's going to be they're they're coming to Columbus. So basically, all the Ohio guys plus uh, Desan McCullough will be in attendance for that. So I'll get to see a lot of these guys in person. I've seen most of these guys play in a real game, but to see these guys in person again, I'm sure people will be asking CJ Hicks a million questions on how's it feel to finally be a five star. But just to see some of the growth. 
physically because these last time I saw a lot of these kids play, they were 15, 16 years old. So seeing how they've grown physically and, you know, seeing all that. So I'll be texting on that stuff all, on Sunday. So you know, sign up for the text if you want to see get information on that stuff. 614-350-3315. That is also how you could vote in the gas station snack bracket. Doug, I'm going to turn things over to you now and you can do the big reveal you're Great cringing segue. already. This is this is this turned into this was like Frankenstein's monster. This is like you had such <laughs> so high such promise for this, and then you look at what it resulted in, and you're just horrified. So I did ask the last two questions. We had the voting in the championship game, the 63rd game to vote on. But I also asked the secondary question was, which was, are you ready for the gas station snacks bracket to be over? And the choices were, yes, I was ready for it to end a week ago. Yes, but just now, 63 games was perfect, or no, let it go on forever. What do you guys think won the vote for should this be over? I think it would be like, yes, but just now. Like, maybe it just hit them that, like, um, March Madness is over, and their their bracket for that was also probably pretty bad, so they're just like, I'm done. I will not be shocked just based on the disappointment of you and the textures of how this is going. If yes, I was ready for it to be over a week ago, actually won. I was so nervous for that answer. I was so nervous <laughs> for it to be like 81%. You've been driving us crazy. Please stop. That finished third. Thank you. Okay, cool. So, actually. So yeah, that finished third. So yes, but just now 63 games was perfect. One at 47%. So that's the, and then 36% said, no, let it go on forever. So that made me feel good. Only 17% said, yes, I wish it was over a week ago. So the winner was in a championship between number four seed fountain soda out of the hot cold region and number seven seed Doritos out of the salty snacks region. The winner is fountain soda, which I've been told I should be calling it fountain pop because we're in Ohio it's just a geographic thing. I grew up in Pennsylvania. We called it soda there. I apologize. There was no intent in calling it fountain soda. 55-45. I get it. I get it. Sometimes they have the really good ice. And someone made the point of like, hey, like you can go into any restaurant and get a fountain soda now. A lot of restaurants have the like walk up and do your own thing. The experience of getting a fountain soda after a long drive, you pull in. You're like, look at those. Sometimes they have cups that are like 128 ounces. It's a bucket, yep. right? They've got the Coke products. They also have the Pepsi products. Sometimes you can put in a little squirt of like vanilla or cherry or lime. Often the ice is very good. I get it. I enjoy a good fountain soda. I do not think it should have won a snack bracket of 64 snacks, but it's very comforting. And so that, again, it's a very moderate candidate. It's like, who doesn't like to drink beverages? I enjoy beverages. Vote for me. And it won. There are a lot of things. This this struck me today as I was thinking about this, which I don't know why I was. <laughs> but as I was thinking about this, <laughs> it struck me that of all the things on this bracket, Fountain, I'm, I'm going to call them Fopos. We used to call them Fopos, me and some friends back in uh, Indiana. That might be the one thing that you would pull off of the interstate and go to a gas station to get, even if you don't need gas. Like some of these other things are like, well, I, it, it's like it's almost the, the specific thing where it might compel you to make a pit stop. Like, man, I'm really thirsty and I could I could just taste like 
a soda, a taste, whatever. And like, it is a different experience having, being able to go up and, and serve yourself, especially if you can, if you know where there's one of those gas stations that has like 40 options, cause you can go get like a, 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 a root beer slash diet Mountain Dew. And, and, and it's just your own private shame. You don't have to go ask someone to make it for you. You get to make it yourself and, and experience whatever your, your particular flavor happens to be. I get that. Because everything else, it's, I need gas, I'm here, I might as well get a snack or something. I get that. And, I and shouldn't we, have went this far, but I get it. Uh, we've all experienced the thing of, like, when you walk in, because sometimes I judge which gas station I want to stop at, because sometimes it's just a gas station, and sometimes it's like a convenience mart, right? Mm-hmm. But often what that means to me is I have to stop and get gas on my road trip. But I want good soda options. So I don't want to stop at this gas station because the gas is all the same. But sometimes when you walk into what you think looks like a good gas station and you walk in and it's like Coke, Diet Coke, Sprite. And you're like, what? Four options? I thought I was coming into a 20 option gas station. This stinks. Or when you walk in and it's like, ah, they have like the 10 option one over here. And then on the other side, they have another 10 option one. And you are like, yes. And then you get the ice. And if it's the good ice and you're like, it's the good ice. So I get it. I get it. I really do. Maybe we're underestimating FOPO. I get it. I actually have much more of a problem with Doritos making the championship game. People have underestimated Doritos dust. This is not eat in your house. This is eat in your car. And my overall number one seed in the entire bracket, my Gonzaga of this bracket was combos. Because there is something about combos on the road, in the mini packet. They do not make sense as a human food. They make perfect sense as a gas station food. They were the overall number one seed. And in the salty snack regional final, number one seed combos went down to number seven seed Doritos. I think it was 52-45. And like, I was very disappointed. I, I had Doritos as a seven seed. But everybody, I guess, likes Doritos. I just don't think it's actually a very smart gas station snack. And I bet you don't grab them that much because you're thinking about the dust. I would say Doritos is like probably my go to like just regular flagship nacho cheese Doritos is probably like my go to vending machine chip. But like I I thought I was with you. I thought combos might just win this thing because I, to me, it is that I only it's like one of those things I only eat it when I'm getting snacks at a gas station. It's like I don't like go buy um, cans of ginger ale to keep around my house, but I eat, I drink ginger ale on planes all the time because they just always have ginger ale. I don't know why. And it's like combos is now I will say, though, I do totally understand that there might be a larger percentage of our voting body who thinks that whatever they have ground up and shoved into a combo is disgusting. I will allow for that. And I think that might have skewed the results. But also with the Dorito situation, it's just, do you really want to be licking your fingers every two seconds while you're trying to drive? And so I just, I wish somebody else would have come through that region then. And it actually wasn't that close. It wasn't as close. As I remember I'm just looking at it was 57 43 that Doritos beat combos. So I just, I was very, I was very surprised, but combos, the specificity of combos as a road trip snack is why they won the overall number one seed. And I get maybe they're not for everybody. I also had Snickers, 
as the, the overall number two seed, the number one seed in the candy region, Snickers lost to M&M's uh, in the Elite Eight. And I was surprised by that. And I think it's possible the Snickers ad campaign over time that has persuaded people that it's not really a candy bar. It's like a hearty snack that fills you up to tide you over to a meal has absolutely latched onto my brain. And so when I go in, if I'm on a road trip, I'm like, well, I don't know if I should get a candy bar. I need a Snickers because I need to make it to my meal. And it's got peanuts. And I just, the, the M&Ms, as much as I appreciate the small bites food on a road trip, again, if you're trying to put M&Ms in your hand, the color comes off on your hand sometimes. That was 54-46 in the Elite Eight. Snickers was my overall number two team. I thought the final would be Snickers versus Combos. And that's not what happened. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the world has not been as brainwashed by the Snickers ad campaign as I have been. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised about M&Ms just because, like, I think regular M&Ms are pointless. I don't really enjoy them that much at all. They almost have to be, like, like if you're sprinkling them on a Sunday or something like that, that makes sense. But just a bag of regular M&Ms, I think, is nothing. But, like, my favorite candy bar might be peanut M&Ms. And I get those all the time. And that would be – I think that's a great road trip snack because it does have a little bit of protein in there with those big peanuts. And it kind of gives you some energy now, for the rest of the drive or whatever. To, to be fair, I told people you can – Take right. any kind of M&Ms you want. Right. So. And so that's why I, I thought that that might have pushed them over the edge because there are a lot of people who could be like, oh, well, if that includes these, you know, I don't really even like M&Ms until they came out with pretzel M&Ms. I think those are great. Like, the, you know, there, there's so many different varieties now that that might have just been too much for for uh, Snickers to to hold off. Because you gave them the option to pick any type of M&M to throw into there, M&M is kind of undercover one seed because of that because it just depends on what style of M&M you actually like can raise or lower the ceiling of where they were going to go. Doug, were there any other low seated entities that who's the UCLA of this, of this bracket? Uh, the, let's see the, the, the team that like made the switch, the sweet 16 uh, as the lowest seed. There was no like 15 seed or anything that made it um, chips. Ahoy as a 16 did knock off. Cosmic Brownie in round one. So they were the UMBC. We had oh, a 16 wow. over a one. Uh, that did happen. But then Chips Ahoy went down to Swiss roll in that 8-16 matchup. So in the Sweet 16, the lowest seed was Pringles as a 12. And the second lowest seed was the Reese's Egg Heart Tree as a 10 that lost to the to the three seed M&Ms. It was, uh, it was pretty good. The seeds that made the Sweet 16, it was a one 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 two, three, 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 four, five, five, six, seven, seven, eight, ten, twelve. So it was actually pretty close to almost like what the real tournament was like this year. It was pretty reasonable. My greatest disappointment, I think, might have been in the baked goods region, though, where number five Oreos made the final four. When I get a baked good on a road trip, I don't want it crispy. I want it soft. I want it gooey. Buckeye talk. Like, I could not believe that Oreos as a hard cookie, my top four seeds in the baked goods region were all soft and chewy. And I know I, even someone said like, oh, I got, got at least one text. that was like, oh, you're like biased toward the soft and chewy baked goods. Like I like the yeah. hard crispy. I'm like not on a road trip, man. No. So I had number one seed cosmic brownie. <clears throat> I had number two seed Krispy Kreme donut. Number three seed oatmeal cream pie. 
and number four seed grandma's cookies, which like have to be soft, right? Those were my top four that Oreos made it ahead of any of those four. I cannot wrap my head around. Max Ray is in the transfer portal per Bill Landis. Well, I guess he's not. Uh, yeah, I guess he's not the backup right tackle. Never mind. Just disregard Fry. everything I said about him on that pod. Um, I wanted to make a point about uh, Oreo. Please stop interrupting the baked goods discussion <laughs> with your football information. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot. I forgot where we were. My apologies. Just disregard that. I didn't say anything about Max Ray. I we'll said something it. about cookies. We'll cut it out. With the Oreos, it's interesting you, t- you talk about the soft and chewy because I would argue that when you go to a gas station, you get a sleeve of Oreos. They are soft and chewy, and that's bad because I don't know if I've ever had a sleeve of those Oreos that isn't stale and 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 wimpy like it's those are the worst kind of oreos to get is those like on the go gas station vending machine slash whatever oreos so it's just a comfort thing of you know you know they're going to be stale and you've gotten used to it so you just love it that much more so and i've i've actually figured out what the deal is here with this because i have oreos in my house sometimes and i have chips ahoy in my house sometimes but and i am not a big milk drinker when i drink a hard cookie I want milk with it because I want to dunk it and soften it up and it tastes good with it. The, and I'm not getting milk on a road trip. I mean, you're not eating milk and cookies together on a road trip. So that, I mean, the milk raises the level of an Oreo and a Chips Ahoy so much that it is a nice like 8 p.m. snack, three Oreos and a little mug of milk. I've done that. I do not want to do it on a road trip. And I just would love to hear like the, de- the defense of like, oh, man, when I want a long road trip, I want to go in and get a nice hard cookie that when I bite into that, it crumbles. And by the way, all cookies taste better with milk. You're not getting milk. You're getting a fountain soda or a Gatorade or a slushy. And that often does not go well with with a cookie. But at least if it's soft, it makes more sense. So I don't I'm just very confused. I, I, I guess like the post post election polling. Right when we go back out and we go back out in the field and we say, what made you vote for Oreos over grandma's cookies? Like, we'll find out what people are thinking on this, but I'm just very surprised. So how long, what's, what's the next bracket? Do you think we're going to throw something at people again relatively soon? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've, so the two that we've done recently, cause we started off with an Ohio state football player bracket when we, we first did. did this, right? What, what was the, what, what was it? It was just the just best favorite one. Buckeye, right? Yeah. Favorite Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Zeke won. Yeah. So we did that. And then we've done the chain restaurant and we've done the gas station snack. So I do think there is room for a thing that is not football and is not food. So I know people have said like sports movies or stuff like that, or like, like favorite, like sports character, who's not a real person or something like that. So I think there's room to go, to go down that road a little bit. So I think we could do that, but I think we'll also try to think of something again of, uh, you know, favorite, something related to football again that I've always liked. I think, um, although I think I know who would win, but it might be fun to see the matchups, like some kind of like Buckeye villain bracket, right? Where you're bringing up players or coaches. It could be a lot of Michigan people in there. You know, Jim Harbaugh is probably the overall number one seed, but like you start getting into like, you know, Bo Schembechler and, um, you know, Dabo Sweeney and, you know, Urban as the Florida coach, you know, and, and 
uh, Ricky Jean Francois, the LSU defensive tackle who like ruined the national title game for Ohio State after the 2007 season. Like, I think we could have some fun with that. So I think that might be on the horizon as well. Okay, interesting one, not to steal from Ohio State, but to steal it from Ohio State, a favorite play, but it just doesn't have to be from last season. It could just be from the last since 2000. I mean, you've got Holy Buckeye, you've got Hart through, Hart through the South. Cardell Jones, one of his throws to Devin Smith, Justin Fields, his first touchdown run here. I mean, that would be interesting. It'd get people to sign up too. That, that could be good. That could be good. We'll keep it all. I mean, like, we'll get to them all probably. If all you have yeah. to do is be a tech subscriber for like 10 years, we'll get to all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We may, maybe just this summer because uh, we're going to need something to keep pumping at you. But for this next week, it's going to be a lot of spring game preview stuff. We're going to get some more interviews next week. We may get to see practice again next week. We've been told we will get some more, another glimpse of practice before the spring game. So I'm trying to think of which position groups we haven't talked to yet. We haven't talked to specialists. We haven't talked to receivers and the good old quarterbacks and the quarterbacks, which I'm not 100 percent sure we'll get. But 100 we'll percent not going to get them. <laughs> we'll get we'll get Corey Dennis, but we're definitely not getting a single one of those players. Well, but yeah, to that, be fair, I bet you they might give us all of them after the spring game. That maybe that'll be the quarterback fair. interview. session. Yeah. will be after the spring game and they'll bring out all three because they're also not going to want to bring out one and not bring oh, out yeah. the other two. Right. Yeah, and they can't take a chance like, well, these two guys are available and the third guy had a class or something, and then people read into right. that. So or no, or they just you can't bring out CJ Stroud to talk to us first because it's just gonna play even more into the oh CJ keeps going first. Yeah, they'll have it be like, it'll be a tri zoom lined yeah. up, and then we'll be like, Why is Kyle McCord in the middle? Does that yep. mean he's it's like are you is it left to right or right to left? Um I, I do want to add that's not under underrate the fact that there are two new specialists this year that and we know that Jake Seibert got some action last year because Blake Hobiel was hurt, but Dane Brugler at the athletic who puts out a monster NFL draft guide. When you look through it, I think this is right. Uh, Blake Hobiel, number three kicker and drew Grishman, number three punter. So that's how good Ohio state's departing specialists were. He doesn't think either of them will get drafted because those guys usually don't. I don't think they're at that level. They'll be in a camp, but that's like a big deal. Like you assume, and it's not like there's competition or anything, but it's like Jake Seibert and Jesse Mirko like have to be good and it's time to go and it's time right now. So there actually is, you know, a somewhat significant, if it was, you know, last year in the spring, it's like, oh, Drew Christman again, how many bottles did you flip? We get it, right? Like, you know, like I'm not making fun of Drew, but it's like they were so established. You knew if what Blake Hobbiel and Drew Crispin, if healthy, you knew what they were going to do. And we just don't know as much about these two guys this season. And we're trading Blake Hobbiel's New York accent for Jesse Mirko's Australian accent, which will be fun. It's pretty strong too, but he's, you can understand him. But it's definitely a strong Australian. I think I talked to him with a Zoom call last year, last spring when he committed, and it was it was awesome. It was like, man, I'm on a Zoom call with an Australian. It was at like seven o'clock in the morning too. It was it was rough. Well, we'll be bringing you that next week, and we will be previewing the spring game. Maybe a live Zoom next week. I think we're trying to put one together. If we can squeeze it in, if we if we can't squeeze one in. Before the spring game, maybe we'll do one as like a spring game wrap a couple days after, like what did we learn or whatever. So, But I would say pretty shortly we'll probably have another live Zoom for all of you. So thanks for listening. I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>